Uh, we're going to be in James chapter 4 tonight. I figured something uh, practical um, but very relevant to our lives. So James chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Um, we're going to do something daunting that we're going to try to touch the whole, uh, capture the whole chapter tonight, which, um, I don't know, might not happen. So uh, you might have to study the rest of it by yourself uh, at home uh, this week or next week, but uh, we're going to try to anyway. And uh, we're going to look at this idea of true faith that's humble and dependent at the same time. And so um, as I've read this passage multiple times, I'm sure you're familiar, you've probably read this or studied this yourself if, you've, if you own a Bible. Um, to be honest, this is a pretty familiar book, pretty practical book that we oftentimes uh, run to because um, it's just very simple. James is just very plain, plain uh, or straightforward or he's plain in his writing uh, to help us in our Christian lives. And so um, I'm going to read the whole thing, I think, and then we're going to walk through it slowly and uh, give time for discussion. I'll give a few thoughts and then see what you guys, uh, what are your thoughts from Scripture uh, from this passage, and we'll go from there. James 4.1 says this, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the scriptures say in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Where, wherefore he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another. Brethren, he that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, how art thou a doer of the law, but a judge? There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judges another? So go to now, you that say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell, and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live, or do this, or that. But now we rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and, do, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So just to start off, the first three verses of tonight's text says uh, there's something going on. There's wars and fightings among you. That's not physical acts of war like we read about in history, but uh, quarrelsome uh, behavior within the church, within the body of Christ, of things that are being done and said that should not be there. And so we see James starts off this chapter with helping us understand that pride promotes strife. Uh, pride promotes strife here. And there is some sort of root to every one that starts uh, quarrelsome behavior, gossip behavior. Uh, that doesn't just happen. There's something internally that causes that to come out of us. There's a, a, another sin or something in our flesh that draws us to speak evil about someone in the faith, someone that we would consider um, a Christian. And so as we look at James, he's trying to argue this thought that no two believers who are walking in the spirit of God towards each other can live with wars and fights among themselves. If we're all pursuing the spirit, if we're all leaning on the spirit, then those things don't happen. But it's when we, so we stop being dependent and stop being spirit-led that many times these words come out that are divisive or evil or slanderous of one another. And so we have to be careful of those things. James is trying to make it clear that these contentious matters come from our desires within ourselves, that what's going on inward will always manifest itself outward. 
Um, we tell kids, you know, what you consume, uh, whether that's uh, not consume as such as food, but consume as far as music and TV and entertainment. Whatever we put in here is eventually going to come out here. Uh, my dad used to say that a lot growing up, and then uh, I realized he was right. So um, he was right, Dad. Uh, but anyway, uh, so those things are true. They happen that way. There's just no way around it. And so whatever we're filling our mind with, our hearts with, our thoughts with, our words with, um, are going to manifest themselves from what's internally, not just, uh, they're not just random in our lives. And so James is cl- clearly bothered by this selfishness in our spirit. But he goes on to say what the conflicts are in verses 2 and 3. You lust and you have not. You kill, but you desire to have, and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you don't have because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. He tells us of two things here. One is covetousness. We're coveting, we're wanting what God has not desired to give us. We're wanting something from someone else's life that we see that looks great, but that's for them, not for you. Um, and then the, the, the uh, anger or the hatred that, Jesus, or that James is speaking to here um, in our hearts. He says, you have not, uh, he says, yet you do not have because you ask not. He's, he's using these phrases, drawing from, uh, trying to point to the fact um, that they're not in the right state of mind, in the right spirit. He's pointing to the uselessness it brings about when living for the desires or the pleasures that God has not desired to give you. He says you start to live in this, with vain thoughts and vain words, and it leads to conflict and an unsatisfied life because you've and desired, desired not to do what Paul said, to be content in all things, but instead have, have almost become bitter at God for not giving you one or two things, or whatever it might have been. And so he continues on, and he gives us a, a lot of uh, rational thoughts here to think through, but it helps us understand the folly of living after the lusts of the world and oftentimes our animal-like appetites. We're tempted to fulfill a sinful desire because we think or we hope that it will satisfy, but it never truly does. It never truly does. So why not accept that our lack of such satisfaction now instead of after much painful and harmful sin in our lives and to others? We have to be careful of those things. And then he says this phrase, you do not ask. You do not ask. Oftentimes these desires, these impure thoughts or impure desires or uh, thoughts about other people, other Christians are in our minds and hearts because we fail to seek God with our needs. He says, you do not ask. You don't come to me. And James reminds us that the power, the great power of prayer here, and why one may live unnecessarily as a spiritual poor individual, because they do not pray. But they can avoid that. They can ask God in prayer to help them. And then he says this phrase, you ask amiss, selfishly, with impure motives, but all throughout the, the scriptures, and Jesus specifically in Matthew 6, verse 10, tells us that the very purpose of prayer is to align our wills, our thoughts, our desires with God's will and his desire. And so impure prayers are a disgrace towards God. If you consume it upon your lusts, it's not what he has given to us. It's not what he has called us to. And so as we think about those first three verses, I didn't have any questions. I was just going to ask simply Are there any thoughts that stand out to you from these first three verses that you might have on this passage tonight? Bruce. I agree. Yes, we oftentimes think prayer is like a, I heard an author one time wrote a quote, it was like, 
prayer is accessing the throne of God, not rubbing a, a genie, a bottle of genie, right? It's not, it's not approaching something that we want that we probably shouldn't have, but we, we, you know, we, we want it, though. Uh, God's not that, doesn't work in that way. We align our will with his will, and then those are the things that God's like, yes, obviously, clearly, this is what I have for you. Uh, great thoughts. Anybody else? We'll move on. Here we go. Look at verse 4 and 5. James says, uh, comes out hard and fast here. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scriptures say in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusteth to envy? James is uh, not saying that they themselves committed adultery, but he's using, excuse me, using a very familiar uh, terminology uh, coming out with this phrase. Uh, you see it many times in the Old Testament. He, James is not saying that all these people have committed uh, immoral sin and, and cheated or whatever like that. But what he's saying is they've committed the sin of idolatry. They've elevated other things above God. And so he's speaking into what they have desired in idolatry that was not given to them by God in their covetous living. And so he's speaking to that here. And then he goes on to say, you know... That friendship of the world is enmity with God. He's comparing one's union to uh, Christ and one's union to sin, that they're not compatible together. And now we, we all know and realize that we, we didn't become saved and we never sinned again, right? That, that's not what happened. Uh, we, we sometimes lean back into our flesh and uh, we oftentimes do that and commit sin. But what he's saying is this, you, you can't live a life tethered and full of sinful, habitual behavior and continue down those roads and then lean over and go, but God has been, you know, like you, you can't live un, un, um, unfaithful lifestyles and expect those things. Like he's like, that doesn't work together. Those don't flow from a, a true believer. And so he's recognizing that we can't be both friends of this world system in rebellion against God and at the same time be friends with God. <laughs> That's not, those, don't, those are inconsistencies together. And then he goes on to say, do you think that the scripture says it in vain that the spirit dwells in us, lusteth to envy? Uh, he's, he's letting us know the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit has a jealous, that God is a jealous God, not in the jealousy that we produce and manifest and uh, all kinds of bad things typically come from that, but God's jealously yearning for our friendship with God. The spirit in us wants us to be in obedience to God. And the spirit convicts the Christian who lives in contradiction in opposition against God, because that's com completely contrary to the nature that we've been redeemed by and changed by and being transformed by. It's, it doesn't make sense. And so God's Spirit is desiring to possess our entire being, but our hypocrisy leads to it not getting all of us by a moment-by-moment decision-making uh, times. It, it changes those things, and it doesn't get consistently uh, a yes, and sometimes we give in to what we should not give in to. Um, those two, those uh, two verses there. Anybody have any thoughts on four and five? Sweet, we're rolling. Uh, look at verse six and ten. I'm gonna try to slow down a little bit because if it's just me talking, this could be done early. <laughs> verse six through ten says, "But he gives more grace." What a good, what a good way to start that. Wherefore he said, uh, "Saith God, resists the proud." But he gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of God, or of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. He's teaching us here. Uh, one of the headings I saw in one of my Bibles earlier under the setting is Humility Cures Worldliness, which I thought was an interesting phrase, uh, just kind of a heading above that, that section of Scripture, just those uh, five verses there. And I think that's interesting because it's, it's the solution to a lot of things. Uh, and we'll see that in just a second. And he, and he says the solution that we start with is grace, is grace. How do we, how do we uh, live without um, 
slandering or having fighting amongst Christians? How do we live in a way uh, that we're consistent with our desire for God and our desire for sin is much less and our uh, giving in to sin is much less? And how do we live in a way uh, that pleases God and uh, asks the right questions and leans on God and prays for his will? How do we do these things? Because God gives us grace. Because God gives us grace. He doesn't say, you know, you have 10 strikes or three strikes in your hour, 10, 10 X's and you're, you're done with. He continues to give us grace. But who does he give grace to? It says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, I was thinking typically in conversations where there's someone trying to start something, that person typically doesn't, is normally not the humble person in the conversation, right? They're typically the ones leading with a head full of steam. They want to argue something out. But God says, no, no, no. The, one, the ones who are humble, I give grace to. The ones who come to me and realize that they're wrong, I give grace to. Uh, Romans mentions that in the lives of Christians, that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Uh, there's much greater grace uh, in those moments of stumbling, those moments of trial. And he gives, those, he gives grace to those who submit to him, he says, who are truly honest with themselves about the state in which they are. But he says God resists the proud. You can find that statement multiple times in Scripture. Uh, God makes it a point that proud and pride, being proud or having pride in your life, are things that he is not for. <laughs> he is clearly against those things. And then verse 7 and 8, um, verses that, uh, actually, these verses were, uh, I first learned these verses as a kid, because a, a baseball player that doesn't no longer play, I don't think anymore, Josh Hamilton, I don't think that name rings a bell, he actually did this like documentary about how he was uh, a drug addict and addicted to all these, well, it was, it was alcohol and all these drugs, tons of hard drugs. It was, it was, it was a, we come out of some bad stuff. And he became a Christian, um, and that's, that's what he was claiming. And he made these videos, and this verse was actually like his go-to. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then he went into verse 8 as well. But I think these verses are, 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 are God pointing, or James pointing us to how this takes place. How do we be humble? We submit ourselves to God. We give ourselves to God. We resist the devil when tempted. We know that's because the spirit is stronger than uh, the, 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 the temptation is, that we can give in to, or get, not give in to temptation by leaning on the spirit. And instead, in verse 8, draw close to God, and he will draw close to you. That's, that's a promise as well. Um, in salvation, we see that in John six thirty seven, where uh, John writes, All that the Father give me shall come to me, and him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's for salvation, but I also think that's us coming to him for forgiveness. He's not saying, yeah, you can come in once. No, the door is always open. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. He wants us to draw near to him and resist the devil and submit to God, understand our failures, understand our sinfulness, and ask him to forgive us for those things. And then eight, confess our sin, and then fill our minds and hearts with the things of God. He says, don't be double-minded, but pursue Christ one uh, don't pursue Christ one moment and then live for the world the next, but live for the greater of the two, not just for momentary pleasures. That is an easy thing to say. That's another thing to live that. Uh, I, don't, I don't say that and be like, yeah, I got it figured. No, 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 that's a hard thing to live. I understand that. It sounds very simple, and when you put it in words on, a, on, a, on an iPad or something, but when you actually think about those things in those moments, how, how many times is that the weight of what is wrong is so tempting and so desirable in, in ways that it shouldn't be to us, but it is. But he says not just that. So draw nigh to God. He obviously will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands. Confess those things. Purify your hearts. Then he says be afflicted and mourn. Weep. Lament and mourn over our sins. If, if we never feel bad about doing sinful things, we might not be a child of God. <laughs> those things are clearly uh, characteristics of mourning and lamenting the, the, the wrong we have done are things that we should feel and are, are um, not things to boast in, but things to be um, grateful for that we, that we confirm that, oh, wow, yes, I, I do feel bad about that because I'm a child of God, and that's not the life that God has called me to live. David, I think, says it best, in my opinions, in Psalm fifty-one seventeen, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. God doesn't turn away a broken heart towards sin. That's what he desires us to have as he has a broken heart over sin as well for us. He doesn't want that for us. He's against that. And then he says in uh, verse 10 again, 
Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. In our humility over our confession of sin, God lifts us up to a humble position, because of a humble position, and he alone can bring us out of the mess that we bring ourselves into. And he alone can restore us back to good standing before God with our sin confessed and out of the way and aired out and no longer grieving God's spirit. Does anybody have any thoughts on those verses we just went over kind of fast? Go ahead. Bruce, yeah, sorry. Sure. Be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient, and that is very hard <laughs> when somebody's getting in your face with something that you know is ridiculous. <laughs> Verse 25, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to acknowledging the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him. That's so good. I, I think of the proverb, answer not a fool according to his folly. Um, obviously, there it's a fool, uh, probably a non-believer. But um, yeah, no, that's, those are good yeah, thoughts. About the, what is it, the soft word? Uh, soft word makes, oh uh, no. It's, it's a yeah, yeah. The Bruce Patterson version, yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts on those verses? Those are very good. Jen. No, it's, it's very, he writes it very plain, right? Like, draw it out of God. He's going to draw it out of you. Like, he hasn't left. <laughs> like, he's waiting for you. No, that's, it's, it's so true, though. It's so true. It's the, the maturity, how do I word this? Like, not how mature you are in Christ is all on you, because, like, we're all growing at a different pace. No, it's not like a standard of, like, you should be here by now, but you're at this grade level. That's not how, like, I don't think spiritual maturity works in those ways. Uh, but I think it's interesting that, like, God matures us um, as we're dependent on him, but like, he's like, here's my word, draw nigh to me, <laughs> like, come on, it's right here, like, it's, it's, simp- it's simpler put oftentimes than we make it, and I think because we like to fill our time with all kinds of things, that that sometimes gets the back seat, but 
definitely true. Any other thoughts on verse 6 through 10? Annie? Get up and get out. <laughs> hmm. Sure. I think there's wisdom, there's wisdom in that, right? Like, it's not always about who says the last word and thinks they won. <laughs> it's, 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 it's being discerning of what's worth, like what hills are worth dying on um, and what hills are worth just getting off. <laughs> uh, I, think that's, I think that's good. You and, what you and Bruce put together, I think that would preach right there. <laughs> No, no reason for it. If they wash your coat, give them the coat. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's not worth it's not worth the church to be fighting over things that don't matter. <laughs> for sure. Dave, were you trying to say something? Yeah, I feel like those things like compound. Like if we, if we, if we sin and we just like let it be, like we don't think about it. We or we might be thinking about it, but we don't necessarily go to God and be like, "Yes, you're right. I, I did this thing. Forgive me." Like, and it's not that God's like never gonna like let that go, but I find it in my life too. If if I'm not um, intentional about forgiveness and confessing and remembering, like that for that that's against what God has called us to. Oftentimes, it leads to not reading your Bible, <laughs> not being in mindful of those things, because you're not being spiritually minded, you're being earthly minded and fleshly minded, and then you find yourselves doing things, doing other things that you shouldn't be doing, or saying, or whatever that looks like in, in a form of a sin, but that's good. Anybody else? Six through ten, any thoughts there? Let's move on. Uh, next section is a little fun. Verse 11 and 12 is interesting. Um, talks about judging. That's a great thing to talk about in church, right? Um, no, I'm just joking. But uh, 11 and 12 says, this, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. That's pretty simple right there. Uh, he that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, art thou, art, sorry, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy and Excuse me again, sorry. Who art thou that judges another? Don't drink seltzer before you leave a Bible, lead a Bible study. It's a horrible idea, sorry. Just, it keeps coming up. I cannot stop it. Um, don't speak evil one of another. That's, uh, one to another, brother, right? That's a pretty simple, like, command in church, right? <laughs> don't speak evil of one another. Uh, recently, there's um, just, it's easy, very easy for me, to be on, and, and this might be you too, to be, on, to be on social media of some sort and uh, some sort of outlet and you see something and you just you get a very critical spirit towards that person. I'm not talking about anybody in this room or, or even anybody in the state, just people, pastors, whatever it might be, doing things and you're like, or, or saying things and you're like, why are they doing, like, and I'm not saying like, like weird differences. I'm just saying like self-promotional type stuff and just weird stuff that seems very vain and prideful. And it's easy to get critical and it's like, but they're still preaching the gospel. 
they're still leading a church well. They're, like, it's not that, they're not being evil, but you get critical in your own spirit towards other Christians. And it's like, that's not right. That's not right at all. Um, listen, I listened to a guy preach at our pastor's fellowship down in Barrie um, Friday, and he preached on the passage, you know, if they're not against us, they're for us. <laughs> if they're not against us, they're for us. And he doesn't want us to speak evil of the brethren, right? That just brings about strife and, and just drama, really. That's the, the modern translation. Uh, just uh, things that should not be. And then he compares, he tells us what that looks like. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law and acts as if he is the judge. Acts as if he is the judge. We have to humble ourselves when we get right with God. It must result in getting right with other people. You know, uh, oftentimes uh, when we are right with other people, it will show in the way we talk about them or talk to them. It will come out in our conversations. But he says when we judge our brother, we put ourselves, when we judge our brother in a wrong way, in an evil way, we put ourselves in the same place as the law, in effect, judging the law. This is something that we have no authority to do. There's one lawgiver, so who are we to judge another in this kind of way? When we pro- have proper humility towards God, it isn't just within us to arrogantly judge our brother. When we're right with God and we're being humble and pursuing God and drawing close to him and resisting the devil and being, uh, being quick to be uh, confessing our sins and cleansing our hands and purifying our hearts, we don't have time and we don't want to do this. But oftentimes, when we don't humble ourselves, when we don't um, confess our sins, when we get in these, these strife-filled uh, mindsets or conversations, we easily become the one who's in charge or the one who gives, we think we're the judge, and oftentimes, and the jury. Um, but sometimes we, we speak evil in this way. And uh, he says, but there's one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? It's kind of a um, interesting statement of reminding us our place uh, compared to God Almighty as the lawgiver, the one who has set everything in motion. We are not him, <laughs> and we are not to act and try to function in his way because we don't do it right. Uh, we do it wrongfully. And so he says, don't judge in this way. Don't act in this way. It's, it's not good. Don't speak evil one another, brethren. Um, does anybody have any thoughts? I don't have much, a ton on that. Anybody have any thoughts on those two verses that stand out? Yeah, I would say he's speaking, he's speaking of the law uh, as in like, um, sorry, let me, let me read this again to just make sure I'm in the right context. I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm not super familiar. I, I did not look, that, look into that deep. I would imagine he's speaking of the law itself as a whole, like the, like the, like the Jewish law, like the commandments, not necessarily like the ceremonial, uh, that kind of thing, but more of the law itself as a whole. Like, you're not, you're, you're speaking evil of others, talking about them against the law, but you're, you're like taking the place of the lawgiver and not, you know, you're, you're a rightful position. I think that's what he's getting at here. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put somebody's lips, like, try to open. <laughs> like they were saying so. Jen and them will come to Evan. Hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Definitely comes to that point. Really? <laughs>
Yeah. Sure. I saw a post a couple days ago that said, I'm just glad college kids are worshiping Jesus at 2 a.m. and not partying at 2 a.m. Yeah. I was like, well, who's going to who's gonna, who's gonna disagree with that? Has anybody heard of the Asbury Revival? Is it not on your social media at all? Oh, nice. Oh, everybody, great. Uh, no, I, I feel the same way. I have, like, you read through your Facebook, it's like, oh, what does so-and-so believe? What does is, what is this guy believe? <laughs> it's like all these opinions. I kind of hold a very similar stage, like, like I hope it's genuine. I hope it's legit. We'll see, we'll see you over the next, you know, whatever time period. But, like, I, I'm not there, <laughs> you know? And even if I was there, I don't even think I'd still have the concrete opinion of whether this is, like, true revival or not, you know? And uh, I, think it's, I think it's great. I think it's getting people... Like, it's getting people's attention. And people are, people that probably, I would imagine people that weren't in church might be checking out churches right now because of what they're hearing about these three offices. It, it could be happening. I'm sure it is in places. Um, but, yeah, I, I have a friend that was, that's been, that went down for a day, and she had all good things to say, and she was defending everybody's, <laughs> all the negative posts, which there's quite a few of those, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, I, that's, I thought about that as I was going through. I was like, I don't know who all knows about that, so I'm not going to bring it up. But thanks for doing that. Um, but, I, no, I think it's true. Speak not evil one of another, brother. Like, those are a lot of children of God going there and worshiping. And why is it our place, you know? But good stuff. Anybody else have any thoughts on 11 and 12? Sweet. We'll, we'll uh, move on. Uh, so we saw true faith is humble in our position towards Christ, our position uh, again, um, in repentance against our sin, and uh, focusing on Christ and not speaking evil, not being fighting and warring and boasting. Uh, and now we're going to look at true dependence, or true faith is dependent. It kind of shifts gears a tad bit, but I think it flows well together. And uh, verse uh, 13 through 16 yeah, 16 says this, Go to now, you say that today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Excuse me. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Um, every time I read this passage, I think of the phrase, Lord willing, Lord willing, we're going to do, yeah. I think of that phrase, because that's kind of, I think, where that originated, probably, um, or one of these passages. Um, he's getting us to this mindset that we ought to be careful not to have an attitude of independence from God, not have an attitude of independence as if God doesn't exist. I heard this quote, I wish I could remember it word for word, that just said a lot of Christians oftentimes um, they talk like Christians, but they live like atheists. Like, they, they talk in one way in different settings, but then they live their life. They, you know, they come into church, they voice their opinion, they, they, they're seen, they're heard, they walk out, and then during the week, you would never know. Like, it's, it's a sad reality that probably is in every church, unfortunately. And uh, not anybody that comes on Sunday nights, though, of course. Uh, but just want to make sure that was clear. Uh, James rebukes this kind of heart, though, that makes plans apart from God's awareness, or our, our awareness of God's hand. Uh, with an unester- uh, underestimation of our own limitations. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. It reminds us of the, just the f- uh, fragileness of life, that our life is a vapor, uh, and oftentimes uh, we don't feel that way as we're living life, but it truly is a vapor. It is very little. It's a smidge on the timeline. You know, it's not a long-lasting, uh, huge piece of history. But James does not discourage us from playing and doing only from planning and doing apart from the reliance on God. 
I saw this uh, picture on Facebook. It was, a couple, it was probably like, it's been a while, like a year ago probably. And it was a picture of this guy, and he had a shirt on this that said, today's my lucky day. The only problem was in the picture, he was getting arrested. <laughs> he was up against the cop car, and they were arresting him. I was like, that's hilarious. Like, today is my lucky day, and he's getting arrested. But that's, that's kind of a joke. But, like, that's kind of the idea of, like, making plans. We're going to do these things apart from God's reliance. That day, that day was not his lucky day. Um, obviously, he was being arrested. Um, but it was kind of a silly thing to kind of get I got my mind thinking about this, this passage because it is arrogant of us to think and act as we can live without God. Uh, boastful arrogance is the essence of sin. It's a proud independence. It's the root of all sin. And it was the case with Lucifer in Isaiah 14, and the same with Adam from uh, Genesis chapter 3, right? It's the arrogance of I can do whatever I please apart from God. Uh, and he's drawing us in to understand and to realize that it's not, that's not the case at all. And then verse 15, uh, he reminds us what we ought to say. Now we ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. We live with the mindset that if God does permit, if God does allow, that I'll do this or that. And he says this phrase, um, you rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. It's empty, it's, it's braggart talk, it's sinful. It's, it can be uh, so misleading because we're, we're, we're boasting in things outside of God. And so as we think about um, going on and on from this text, he says, speak no evil, you're not the lawgiver, God is the lawgiver, you don't even have the ability to control your life. <laughs> you don't even get to say how long you live. You don't even get to say uh, what you get to do because your life's a vapor and God is in control of those things. But in reality, we should be so dependent on God that we, even in our plans, are mindful that these things might not happen because God is really the one, the, the ultimate planner behind the scenes. And so as we think about this, the, this uh, verse 13 through 16, um, does any thoughts come to your mind? And that's a pretty... There's a lot more there than what I talked about, but just want to give some uh, leeway to any thoughts you guys might have on 13 through 17 there. 16. We're saving 17. Bruce. say Lord willing, hmm. but when his will is not with our will, it's still to love him and praise him and glorify him and thank him for what he's doing in our life, even when it's not anything close to what we were planning on doing. Hmm. You know, whether that's uh, the temporary, like what we've been going through, or I was a happy school teacher and God said, leave teaching and go in for ministry. Hmm. And if I hadn't done that, Yeah. So it's just, uh, we stay more willing. And uh, I talked to uh, uh, Velasco in Spain about, uh, he wants me to come over there and preach sometime about the sermon that's been on my heart about this idea of Lord willing. And he said, over here, everybody uses Lord willing as an excuse. <laughs> you know, Lord willing, but if there's a soccer game on TV, then he's not willing. That's <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that's so true. We might think, we might say words like that or think that we're like in tune. You know, if God allows this to happen, if God wills, but then you find yourself in circumstances like Bruce mentioned, like they're going through things that they didn't put on the calendar and predict and hope for and even desire, but God is, is leading them through it and 
Uh, it's cool to see the, it's, it's great to see the faithfulness of God in, in other people's lives, and then pray that in your life when things come, that you'll be faithful and steady through those things um, as you face the same, or similar or hard things in your life. I know many people in the church, uh, even over the last year, have faced hard, hard things, and it's been, it's been an amazing thing, and that, that sounds like a contradictory statement. It's been, it's been an amazing thing to see people's faithfulness to God re, 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 um, in spite of the actual predicaments and the situations they found themselves in. Um, because I think it's easy. Those are the times where people go off the rails, find, find other things, get themselves in a mess. And not every time, but it happens every now and then. And people run away or they cling close. It's one or the other. It's they cling to Christ or they run from him. Um, and so it's been really cool to see God work um, even in unpredictable, unprecedented, unwanted situations and see God, um, God's faithfulness in those people uh, come out. So it's good stuff. Uh, verse, um, anybody else? Verse 13 to 17, sorry. Or 16. Dave. I like that, yeah, comparing, yeah, those verses, and then the same chapters, look at that, <laughs> they're together, uh, and, and to see that, that's a great thought, that's a great thought, it changes the way we pray, changes the way we even think through what, we, what we've been blessed with, that's good stuff, Dave. Anybody else? We'll cover the last verse, and if you think of something from the other 16 verses, feel free to share uh, after we finish uh, verse 17. Here we go, verse 17. Therefore, to him that knows to do good, and doest it not, to him it is sin. I think James knows that it's far easier to think about and talk about humility and dependence on God than it is to truly live it, as we just mentioned. Yet he makes the mind of God plain. If we know these things, we're accountable to them. James returns to this constant theme through his letter, the idea that genuine faith is proved by action. Remember, James 2, uh, faith without works is dead. This is the same James, the same book. Um, he's getting this idea that what we know we're responsible to. To him, it, to, to him it is sin that does not do what he's supposed to do. He says when we think of sin, uh, we oftentimes think of Ten Commandments and things such as the law. And God says that we ought to neglect, or we ought to not just neglect what we're called to. What we're called to do and not to do it is sin. So that was a very confusing statement. Uh, think of it like this, an illustration. If uh, men are neglecting to take care of their families, or you could say if women are neglecting to take care of their, their, their kids, whatever it might be, not that, yeah, yeah, anyway. Um, if, if you're neglecting, there's not a command that says if you don't do this, it's sin. But to know good and to not do it is sin. <laughs> and so to neglect, to, uh, to not do what you're called to do is sin. Um, you, can, you can list a, a dozens of other things that you're called to in life. Uh, and it might not be written down in black or in red. But to neglect what we're called to is sin. Uh, to neglect responsibilities, to neglect what God has given us. Um, to neglect repairing a relationship that might be getting severed. And even if you're not the party that's like evil and out to get somebody, it still would be good for you to go to someone and say, hey, I know things aren't right, you know, forgive me, or try to repair those things, but to know things aren't even right between one another in the, in the church and to not do anything might be sin, <laughs> to avoid what we know to do. Um, he says to have knowledge of what is right and not doing it is sin. This is not for us to judge someone else, this is for us to understand that knowledge brings about responsibility. What you know ought to lead you to how you live. Knowledge from God is a gift. Growth in our spiritual life and, 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 and the knowledge is a gift, and it should lead to life change. It should lead to uh, maturity and, and how we serve others, and it ought not to be wasted. 
God, he gives us great, this passage here, you could probably make a list of things we're called not to do. Not to fight and quarrel, um, not to be envious of other people, not to be um, double-minded and we live for the world one day and we live for Christ the next and we live for the world. Like, we ought to do that. We ought to draw nigh to God. We ought to resist the devil. We ought to confess our sins. We ought to weep over our sins and mourn those things and be humble in God's sight. We ought not to speak evil one of another. We ought not to be the lawgiver, but one who is obedient to the lawgiver, Christ. And now, of course, we ought to be dependent on God in everything, in everything, the way we live. Because if the Lord wills, then we'll do this or that. And to know these things and to not do what we're called to do is sin. And so um, even the things that aren't listed, to, to have responsibility or to have knowledge of what is right and to not do what is right, he says, is sin. Does anybody have any thoughts on that verse? Um, that's a pretty well-known verse. Uh, anybody have any thoughts on that one? the one thing I won't do, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. No, I do too. Like, you read it sequentially, and you keep going through, and it's like, the phrase just seems like totally, ra- not random, but it kind of feels random, but it's like, oh, gotcha. <laughs> if, you're, if you are checking boxes, gotcha. <laughs> it's good. Beth, any thoughts on verse 17? Or if you're like, hey, I just thought of something from verse 1, feel free to raise your hand and give it to us. <laughs> Any other thoughts? Oh, sorry. Let me get Bernadette. I'll come back to you. I'll let you go. He's, he's spoken enough tonight. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I feel like that's a, that's a good lofty phrase we like to tag on things like that we don't really want to do or accomplish or, you know, meet a goal of some sort that would be like biblical to take care of and be like, oh, you know, if God allows it to happen, like, but you're, <laughs> to him to know to do good and does not, it's sin. So yeah, no, that's good. It's a good thought. <laughs> 